Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you're joining us for week three of our Your Invited series. And it looks like we have a great crowd here on site, but I know we also have a whole bunch of people joining us online as well. So let's welcome in Todd and Connie, Lily, Mimi, and a whole bunch of others who are joining us online. Would you put your hands together? Let them know we're glad that they're worshiping with us. And if you're new, uh, my name's Chad, and we are just super excited that you're here for your invited. Now, we do this series every year because of how we see the church. We don't believe that God ever intended the church to be something boring or stagnant or dull. No, instead, the church is to be a community that overflows with joy, that has overflowing joy. Now, what that doesn't mean is that we're people who always walk around with a smile on their faces and fake like that they're happy or anything like that. No, life hurts way too much for us to do that. No, what this means is we have an inner joy. We have an inner joy that pushes against the sadness that often surrounds us. We have a hope that looks beyond just what we see in the day to day. We have a peace that stabilizes us and keeps us going even through the tough times. And we have all that because of what Jesus has given us so that we have reason to celebrate even on our worst day. And so we do this You're Invited series to illustrate what we have in Jesus. And we choose a different theme every week in the series to help illustrate this joy that we have in Christ. And every single year, we like to have a character day of some sort. A few years ago, we did like a Disney character day. I think last year we did superheroes. But this year, we chose to do Star Wars for our character day. So today is Star Wars Day here at First Church. Anybody like Star Wars around here? Anybody? Yeah. Okay. Anybody not care for Star Wars at all? Are you here? Okay, like, okay, six or seven of you. All right, but you are out there. Okay, cool. Well, I just have to be transparent with you. Uh, I have seen the Star Wars movies and I like them, but I'm not a fanatical Star Wars fan, okay? I know some people are, uh, and like some of our staff members are really crazy about Star Wars. And so when our staff found out that we were gonna have a Star Wars day, I mean, they went nuts. They were super stoked. They couldn't wait. And they decided to have a little fun with our theme. Take a look at this video. You know, as we grow, we're always looking for people to jump in, get involved and serve. Everybody has unique gifts. Some people just need help developing those gifts. Whose idea was it to serve dessert in the shape of the Death Star? Too soon. You know, he's a wizard with all the mechanical stuff, but trying to keep him from upgrading everything has been a bit of a challenge. That's the emergency brake, the gas pedal, and that's pretty much it. Where is the trigger for the plasma cannon? This is a, this is a peaceful parking lot. Like, there's not a need for that. How do you engage the hyperdrive? Well, we're only going a few hundred feet each time. I don't think we, there's not a need for that either. No excuses. I expect it to be operational by morning. I will handle this. Darth, we talked about this. We use our words, not the force. I mean, aside from the short jokes, uh, he's been a decent addition to the worship team. And I, I'm not complaining, but sometimes he does try to steal the show. Okay, guys, hey, let's run through that one more time. Here we go, ready? One, two, one. Sorry, old habits. You know, having him on the security detail has been fantastic. 
I mean, he's a natural. A little more strict than we've had in the past, but hey, safety first. Good morning, Casey. This way, please. Halt. Stop right there. What? Aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper? Seriously, I work here. Impossible. It's illegal for a church to employ children. Take him away. Oh my gosh. I am confident we are going to find the perfect place for Darth to serve. He really is a great guy, once you get to know him. Where's my golf cart? Darth! Yeah. I don't know what to say after that, but I guess I can transition like this. I have discovered there are Star Wars fans, there are Star Wars fans, and then there are Star Wars fans. You guys know what I'm talking about. There are people like me who have seen the movies and like them and they're fine with them and they're cool and everything. But then there are people who like have seen the movies dozens of times and they collect like the action figures and the toys and the memorabilia. I'm talking about the adults, you know, not kids, but they collect all this stuff and they're all about it. And then there's a whole nother level of Star Wars fans, people who have like the movies memorized and who wear costumes like these guys right here. Can we welcome in my friends here real fast? Welcome to the stage, yeah. All right, so we've got three bad guys and one good, right? Is that right? So um, I think I've got my strawberry. It's your opinion now. Don't get into a fight or anything, okay? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, be careful where you point that thing. Anyway, uh, well, we have these guys here on our campus today. Make sure you stop by and see them and others. Got a whole bunch of Star Wars characters. We want you to get pictures with them, visit with them. Make sure the kids get to see them. Is that Darth breathing over there? Is that what that is? Yeah, is that thing hot? You know, if you took that off, you could probably breathe better, honestly. Not gonna, okay, all right, anyway. But make sure you stop by and see them. Let's give it up for my friends one more time. They're here joining me, yeah. They'll be out in our foyer in the gathering space. We appreciate them being here today. Now, if you don't know anything about Star Wars at all, let me give you a quick brief summary, okay? Long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, there's the theme music. Get you in the mood, right? Come on, we'll get to the Bible here in a minute, but let's just get in the Star Wars mood for a second, okay? There was this evil galactic empire, and the evil galactic empire took over the galaxy, and they had all the weapons, and they had all the manpower, they had the giant spaceships, you know, and like the Death Star that can destroy a planet, whatever, and they had the coolest villains ever, you know. They were on top of the world, or galaxy, you might say. They were in charge, and it looked as if that no one could defeat them, no one could stop the dark side, right? But then there's this band of rebels, the Rebel Alliance, the Resistance, and they fought against the powers that be, these bunch of ragtag rebels, right? Fought against the dark powers and ended up beating them, ended up winning. It's a true underdog story. And honestly, I think that's why a lot of people like the Star Wars saga because we love a good underdog story. We love it when somebody gets a victory or wins against all odds. It's just part of our nature, I think, that we like a good underdog story. And as I was preparing for this message, re-watching some of the Star Wars movies this week, that's how I was preparing for the message. As I was preparing for the sermon today, re-watching some of the movies, there are some common themes that I saw in Star Wars that I thought relate to real life. Now, 
Don't misunderstand me. Star Wars is fictional. I know that, okay? So it's not a documentary or anything like that. It is fictional, all right? I hope that doesn't burst your bubble or disappoint you, okay? But there are some things that we have in common when it comes to real life. Now, I'm not talking about like, you know, spaceships and aliens and the force or mysticism or anything like that that's involved in Star Wars, but I'm talking about some of the themes. You know, we live in a world today that is very much under the influence, the authority of darkness in many ways. Jesus says that Satan, our enemy, that he claims to be the prince of this world. And he's really not the prince of this world. He's an illegitimate ruler, but he wants to claim to be the prince of the world that God created. And he is powerful. Don't lose sight of that. If you ever feel like you're in a battle or you're under attack, it's probably because you are. Because he has you and me in his sights. He's powerful. And the Bible talks about that we're in this war with him and all the powers of darkness. In fact, it says this in the book of Ephesians, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're in a battle, and we have a very real enemy. It seems like at times darkness is everywhere, but in the midst of a world full of darkness, we, as followers of Jesus, we are the resistance. Listen to what Peter says. Peter says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Don't go along with him. Don't go along with the flow. Don't do what everybody else is doing. Don't submit to the darkness. Don't give in to the darkness. Resist him. Be different. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. See, every time that we worship God, we are rebelling against Satan's illegitimate reign. Every time that we live like Jesus, we are pushing against the darkness that exists in this world. Every time that we speak the truth in love, we are exposing the lies of the enemy. We are the resistance in a world that is full of darkness because we are those who live for a higher purpose. We are those who live with the light of Christ and because Christ, the light of the world, is in us and working through us, the darkness doesn't stand a chance. That's why the Gospel of John tells us this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness cannot stand up to us. So we are able to offer the world a new way of life, a way of life that takes them out of all the confusion and emptiness and destruction that the darkness has caused in their lives. We are the resistance. And you guys know this. There's an all-out war being waged right now against our homes, our families, our marriages, our children, our schools, our communities, our neighborhoods, even our church. Satan, our enemy, wants to do everything he possibly can 
to stop us. But we need to know that as long as our focus is on Jesus, he can't. Because the way that we infiltrate the darkness is not with the weapons of this world. We don't fight against the darkness the way that the culture would. If we could defeat the darkness with our own strength and abilities, then we wouldn't need Jesus. No, the way that we infiltrate the darkness is by living like Jesus, living his way of life, modeling his behavior, speaking what he spoke, teaching what he taught. And when we live for him in the midst of a world that is going against him, we actually change the world by him working through us. And that's why we need to keep in mind as followers of Jesus that he has to always be our focus. As the book of Hebrews says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. How do we run our race? How do we live our lives? How do we change the world? How do we do what God is calling us to do? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, by letting him lead, by giving him control of our lives. See, sometimes I will have people come to me and they'll ask about how like, decisions are made here at the church, or what are your leadership meetings like? As if like, you know, the elders and me that we meet behind closed doors in some dark secret room and we just, you know, make all these decisions or something. And so they're fascinated. They want to know, you know, what are y'all's meetings like? And let me just pull back the curtain a little bit, okay? We never come together as leaders of this church and say, okay, what are the five things we need to do in order to grow this church? We never do that. We never have those conversations. You know what we do? We come together and we say, if Jesus did it, we're going to do it. If Jesus taught it, we're going to teach it. Because I'm not the leader of this church. And the elders aren't the leaders of this church. Jesus is the only leader of this church. And we are with him. And so, you know what we're going to do? Whatever he leads us to do. That's how you grow the church. That's how you expand the kingdom of God, by fixing your focus on him. Because no matter what the culture tells us, we will always be on the right side of history if we are with Jesus. And that's the type of church that we wanna be. We don't wanna be a church that moves with the culture. We wanna be a church that moves the culture. And we do that when we allow for Jesus, the light of the world, to shine out from us. See, Jesus tells us to pray this. Your kingdom come, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning our job, our mission here is to bring heaven to earth while we're here. Our job is to push the darkness back and expand the kingdom of God. That's what we're here to do. We are here to infiltrate the darkness. We are here to change the world. And that's a big job. It's a huge job. It's a job that when we look at it, sometimes we think, can we even accomplish this? And let me just tell you the truth, we can't, but Jesus can. And because he is with us, that's what sets us apart from every other resistance movement that has ever existed. That's what sets us apart from Star Wars, okay? What sets us apart from Star Wars and every other resistance movement that has ever existed is this. The church is never the underdog. We are never the underdog. You know why? 
How can you be the underdog when you have on your side the one who spoke everything into existence? How can you be the underdog when you have on your side the one who fed the multitudes, the one who walked on water, the one who brought the dead back to life, the one who calmed storms? How can you be the underdog when the one who walked out of the tomb and defeated the grave is with you and on your side? The church is never the underdog. And sometimes I think we as followers of Jesus need to be reminded of that. Not just in our generation, I think every generation of the church has needed that reminder at some point or another. And that was true for the church in the first century. And they get that reminder in Revelation chapter one. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look with me at Revelation chapter one. That's where we're gonna be today. If you have a physical Bible, you have trouble finding it, it's the last book in there, okay? It won't be hard to find, I promise. But a lot of people, when they hear the book of Revelation, they get all nervous or anxious, or maybe they get excited in an unhealthy way, or they just kind of get bored because they think, oh, I can't understand it, too many signs and symbols and whatever. And I, am, I fall into none of those categories. I love the book of Revelation. I'll tell you why I love it. I think it is the most encouraging book in all the Bible. I think Revelation was never meant to scare followers of Jesus. I think it was meant to encourage us. And that's what it does for me. And I think we see that starting in the very first chapter. See, Revelation was written at the end of the first century. And what's going on at the end of the first century is that the Roman Empire had taken over the known world. The Roman Empire was threatened by the church because the church, followers of Jesus, that movement was growing. So they saw the church as a threat to their power and they wanted to get rid of the church. So the government started persecuting Christians. Christians were literally losing their homes, losing their jobs, losing their family members, losing their very lives. And in the midst of all this struggle, these followers of Jesus still refused to renounce Jesus as Lord. So Rome kept up the persecution to the point that by the end of the first century, all of the apostles, the original followers of Jesus, the original disciples of Jesus had all been martyred, killed for their faith, except one. His name's John. Like, you know, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, Jesus' disciples, that John. John is the last apostle alive. And he's an old man at this point. He's probably like in his 90s at this point. And Rome decides, we're not gonna kill John because that hasn't stopped the growth of the church by killing the other apostles. Instead, we will capture him, arrest him, capture him, and we will exile him and put him away from all the other churches, all the other Christians out there, and maybe that will stop some things. So they exiled John to this island prison known as Patmos. And while John is on the island of Patmos, he's discouraged, and you can imagine why. He's exiled, he's a prisoner, and his brothers and sisters around the world are suffering. And all this suffering is starting to affect the churches. In fact, in the book of Revelation, John is told by Jesus to write certain things to the churches that Jesus knows what's going on in their midst. And to the church at Ephesus, Jesus says, I know that your love for me has grown stale. To the church at Pergamum, tell them, I know they're exchanging truth for lies. To the church at Thyatira, they are participating in idol worship. I see that. The church at Sardis, well, they're just going through the motions. I know what's really happening there. And Jesus says the church at Laodicea, they've become lukewarm. 
Jesus calls out these churches. And I want you to notice that none of these churches have out and out denied that Jesus is Lord. They haven't rejected him. They just started to reduce him. They become so distracted by persecution and suffering and hardship and trials that they've lost sight of who Jesus is. It's not that they've said Jesus isn't Lord. It's just, well, let me put it this way. It's not that they don't have a place for Jesus. It's just that he doesn't have first place anymore. Sound familiar? And this is a tactic of Satan. If Satan can't get us to reject Jesus, then he'll settle for us reducing Jesus. To where we reduce him to the point to where we just don't see him clearly anymore. I once heard somebody say years ago, a diminished view of Jesus results in a diminished life. And I think that's true for churches as, as well. A diminished view of Jesus leads to a diminished church. And maybe that's why so many churches in our culture today are struggling because when you lose sight of who Jesus really is, it leads to a diminished life. And that's what's going on at the end of the first century. So what do you do when it looks like darkness is winning? What do you do when it looks like evil is winning? What do you do when it looks like Satan is just being allowed to do his thing? What do you do? I'll tell you what we do. We look up. And that's what John does in Revelation chapter one. See, the book of Revelation is all about one primary theme. Who's really Lord? Who's really Lord? Is it Jesus or is it Caesar, the Roman emperor? Who's really in charge? Is it God or is it Satan? Who's gonna win? Is it the church or is it culture? The book of Revelation is really all about who's in charge. And we know the answer, but sometimes it's hard to live out that answer when you're surrounded by darkness. And that's what's going on at the end of the first century. And so John, he worships, he looks up, looking for help. And look at what he writes. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. Now I want you to notice something. John tells us on the island of Patmos, he's there as a prisoner because he's telling people about Jesus. That's his only crime. But even though he is a prisoner on this island, away from all of his friends and loved ones, what is John doing when the Lord's Day comes around? That's Sunday. When Sunday rolls around, what is John doing? He's focused on God. He's worshiping. Even though he's away from all of his Christian friends, he's still worshiping. It's funny to me how sometimes we will choose to sleep in on Sunday just because we don't feel like going to church, yet John is a prisoner on the Alcatraz of his day, and yet he still is worshiping. Because what do you do when you're surrounded by darkness? You look up. And as John looks up, he sees something interesting. See, Sometimes when you don't feel like worshiping, that's when you need it the most. Because what we want is not always what we need and God knows that. And I'm sure if you were to ask John at this moment, if God would just give you anything you asked for, what would you want? He would say, I want this suffering to end. I wanna get off this island. I want my fellow brothers and sisters across the world not to have to suffer anymore. I'm sure that's what he would say. 
But what God is gonna let him know is he needs something different. That's what he wants, but what he needs is a fresh, renewed picture of Jesus. And that's exactly what John gets. Verse 10 says, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So John says someone is speaking to him like a trumpet behind him. And we quickly find out who is speaking to John. It's the voice of Jesus himself. Verse 12 says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, the book of Revelation tells us that the lampstands represent the churches that John was writing to. Then he says, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Get this. When John turns around to see Jesus, where is Jesus? He is walking among the lampstands. He is walking among his church. He is with his people. Yes, the church is suffering, but they are not alone. Jesus is not an absentee landlord. He didn't start the church and now he's gone off to some galaxy far, far away. Where is Jesus? He is with his people. He is with his church. He has not abandoned them. He is walking among them. He's in their midst. And then John says that Jesus was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. These are the vestments of a high priest and a king. The itinerant preacher of Galilee has thrown away his dirty rags and now he has taken his rightful place as sovereign over the cosmos. John continues, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. This is not a sign of aging or frailty. No, this is a sign of wisdom and purity. And his eyes were like blazing fire, meaning he sees everything. He sees in you and through you. Nothing is hidden from his powerful sight. He knows what's going on. And his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, meaning he is immovable. You can't knock this Jesus over. He doesn't stumble. He doesn't fall. He stands firm forever. And then John goes on to say, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. This Jesus, when he speaks, he speaks in Niagara thunder. When this Jesus speaks, everyone listens because his voice is like a tidal wave. You either listen to it or you get out of the way. And then John says, in his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. The seven stars, that represents the messengers of the churches. John tells us, what is Jesus doing? He is holding up in his right hand, the messengers, those who are preaching his word, letting them know, I've got your back. And then he says that out of his mouth comes a double-edged sword because Jesus' words, they penetrate our very hearts. They penetrate to our souls. And then John says, his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. This Jesus that John sees, he blazes with supernova brilliance. He's like looking at the sun. You can hardly even stare at him. 
because he's so bright and powerful. And then John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And we can understand why. Because this isn't the Mr. Rogers Jesus that is sometimes portrayed on the Sunday school flannel graph, okay? This isn't Joel Osteen, okay? So get that image out of your head. This is the cosmic Jesus, the one who walked out of the grave, the one who holds the keys of death in Hades, the one who controls the cosmos, the one who spoke everything into existence. This Jesus is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is omnipresent, and he is reigning on high. And when Jesus stands before John, John falls to the ground as if dead. He can't move, he can't speak. He's so terrified in the presence of this all-powerful Jesus that the only thing he can do is eat pavement. And then look at what Jesus does. Then Jesus placed his right hand on me, on John, and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. What does this cosmic powerful Jesus do? He puts his hand on John and says, don't be afraid. You don't have to fear me. I'm with you. I'm on your side. And therefore you don't have to fear the Roman empire. You don't have to fear the powers of darkness. You don't have to fear Satan and his minions because you've got me and I'm on your side. And I know it may look like for a season, like darkness is everywhere, but I'm still Lord. I'm still King. I'm still in charge of everything. And I still hold the power of death because death now answers to me. You have nothing to be afraid of, John, because the battle has already been won. And what Jesus lets John know is there may still be some conflict that goes on for a while because God's gonna still let Satan do his thing for a little while in order to fulfill his plan or for God to fulfill his plan. But the war, it's already been won. And that's something that we should never lose sight of. You know, I was watching a game a year or so ago between Michigan, basketball game between Michigan and Wisconsin. And I don't know if you saw this, but at the end of the game when the two teams were shaking hands, a fight broke out. And it was actually caused by a couple of the coaches because <laughs> they were, well, the Michigan head coach, Juan Howard, was mad at something that the Wisconsin coaches did during the game. And so as they're shaking hands, not only do they get in each other's faces, but Juan Howard actually like takes a swing at one of the Wisconsin assistant coaches and strikes him, strikes him on the head. In fact, you can see it right here. It's kind of blurry, but that's Juan Howard's hand on the side of the head of one of the assistant coaches for Wisconsin. And as shocking as that picture may be, what gets me is when I see the bottom line, the score. You notice this, it says final. It doesn't matter how many swings Dwan Howard takes at the other team. It's not gonna change the score. Wisconsin already won the game, it's done. The Michigan coaches can throw punch after punch. 
They can have all out brawl right there at the end of the game, but it doesn't matter. It's not gonna change the outcome of the game. The game has already been won. And that's what we are experiencing right now. The game's been won. The battle's been won. The war's been won. Jesus is victorious and he proved it when he walked out of the tomb. And there may still be some punches that Satan throws every now and then for a season, but he's already defeated and he knows it. And that's why he wants to try to take as many down with him as he can, because he knows the game is over. He knows he's an illegitimate ruler, but we can't let him take us down because we are with Jesus and we will always be on the right side of history as long as we are with Jesus. So we need to stop acting like we are underdogs in this world. We're not, we're not victims. We are victorious in Jesus. We're not underdogs. We're under the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Satan may be powerful, but he's not all powerful. Satan may be present in this world, but he's not omnipresent. We are with the one who is in total control. And that's why John gives us this reminder. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. See, Jesus has given us a mission. It's a mission to change the world. It's a big mission. Our job is to push against the darkness. And we do that one life at a time. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not that God so loved the world that he started World War III. <laughs> the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God so loved the world, he sent his son to die on a cross for the world. And as each person comes to know Jesus as Lord, one life at a time, darkness is pushed back further and further and further. That's why we are here. And it's a big job that Jesus has given us to change the world one life at a time. But we can do it, you know why? Because Jesus has promised, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We can do it, not because we have the strength, not because we have the ability, we can do it because Jesus is with us to the very end of the age. Guys, that's why we can have joy in the midst of sadness, because he's with us. And we always have hope no matter what. That's why we can be in a hospital waiting room or an ER room and receive horrible news from a doctor and yet still have hope. That's why we can be in a funeral home and be mourning but yet still shed tears of joy and have peace in that horrible circumstance because Jesus is with us and we know there's more to life than just what we see around us. That's why we can keep going even when we're attacked, even when we're persecuted, even when we have to face opposition, we can keep going no matter what the world does to us because we know the one who created the world. See, we can have joy in the midst of sadness because we're with Jesus. And because of that, we're not just the resistance, we're revolutionaries. Because every time that we live like Jesus, the world notices and the light penetrates the darkness. So I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with. 
But wherever you are right now, be encouraged, O church. Be warned, kingdoms of this world. Tremble in fear, Satan and your minions, because the great I am is on the throne and we stand with him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for sending your son to be the light of the world. And we know that he is in us and working through us. And I just pray that we can shine his light on a daily basis to everyone around us. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.